How many of you have ever been to Hodgenville, Kentucky? Anybody? Uh, Jerry. That's awesome. Yeah, anybody else been to Hodgenville, Kentucky? If you ever have occasion to visit this town, you'll find a plaque that uh, marks Abraham Lincoln's birthplace as you drive into the town there. And you need to stop and take a look at this plaque. You'll also find recorded on it a bit of conversation between two residents of Hodgensville. Any news down to the village, Ezra? Well, Squire McLean's gone to Washington to see Madison swore in. And old Spellman tells me that this Bonaparte fellow has captured most of Spain. What's new out here, neighbor? Nothing, nothing at all except for a new baby born to Tom Lincoln. Nothing exciting ever happens out here. Now, if that had been born to Tom Lincoln, that really would have been a, been, been amazing. There are some events, whether they're birthdays in Hodgensville, Kentucky, or Bethlehem of Judea, some events that may not create much earthly commotion. But those of lasting importance will always receive all the attention they need and deserve at some point in time. Consider the announcements found in the Gospels of Luke and Matthew in your New Testament. Luke 1, 26-38 records that in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, for the Lord is with you. Now, among all the influences of home, I don't think there's any more powerful than that of motherhood. It is the molding and inspiring force in those tender and impressionable years. And as someone has said, remember the hand that rocks the cradle, what's that? Rules the world. And when those little eyes are opening and when their heart is softest, when their little wills are not yet formed, what a tremendous influence the mother has. I mean, there will come a time when the strength and masculinity, energy, or whatever of the father may be needed and will be. But in the opening days when life is fresh and the child is still a babe, it is the love of mom more than that of father that interprets and conveys the love of God. But Mary didn't yet all under, understand all that. And as we continue our Advent series leading up to Christmas, I want to review what the Bible says, especially the Bible announcements that preceded our Lord's birth, as presented to us both in the Gospel of Luke and in Matthew. And then I want to remind you of a few noteworthy facts about Mary, the mother of our Lord. Verse 29 records Mary's response to angel Gabriel's message. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting that this might be. Whenever the supernatural touches the natural, by the way, it always creates this measure of, of fear. But verse 30 says, the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. 
and you'll be with child, and you'll give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He'll be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there'll be no end. Now, now this passage is 100% literal. This is not fiction. This is the absolute. Those who deny the virgin birth also don't believe that there's ever been a resurrection or they ever believe that Jesus will ever sit on the throne of his father, David. Verse 34 says that she asked, how will this be since I am a virgin? Isn't it interesting that Mary was the first one to question the virgin birth? Dr. Luke quotes the angel Gabriel and gives us his answer, verse 35. And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so that the Holy One born will be called the Son of God. No man had anything to do with the birth of Jesus Christ. Now we learn back in the Old Testament book of Leviticus that the birth of a child caused the woman to be unclean because she was believed to be bringing another sinner into the world. You know that? That's, that was the Jewish thought process. But Mary is told that she's not just bringing another sinner into the world. <laughs> this baby would be different. He would be holy. He'd be sanctified, which means set apart. He'd be unique, absolutely unique. The union of a man and a woman can only produce a child with a sin nature. And King David understood this, and he wrote it in Psalms 51.5. Surely, he said, I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. But Mary's son would be different. He would be virgin born. You know why this baby is going to be called the Son of God? Because he is the Son of God. Isn't that simple? Even in Kentucky, we understand this. <laughs> Hodgenville, Kentucky especially. He was absolutely unique. Now, don't forget that Dr. Luke wrote this gospel, and he approaches this from a medical and scientific point of view. He declares in verse 36, Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. And I love verse 37. For nothing is impossible with God. Now the birth of John the Baptist was also miraculous, but it was not a virgin birth. And the statement that nothing is impossible with God is absolutely true. Anything God determines to do, he accomplished. And Mary, in faith... And submitted to the will of God, said in verse 38, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. J. Vernon McGee once said that this verse reveals Mary's submission to the will of God. She had a submissive spirit. And at that very moment, something happened a cloud would come over Mary's life and it would stay with her. It would remain there until Jesus Christ came back from the dead. 
You see, the resurrection of Jesus proves the virgin birth. I mean, they questioned it until then. But you cannot deny the virgin birth and believe in the resurrection, or vice versa. It can't be done. Now, what I want you to see now, I want to go to Matthew's gospel, and, and uh, in chapter 1, verse 18 to 25. See, Luke's account focuses on Mary. Matthew's account focuses on Joseph. He's a major player in this. Verse 18, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. I love verse 19, because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to just divorce her quietly. Now, Joseph was a remarkable man. Mary gets a great deal of attention, and rightly so, but never forget that God had also chosen Joseph. He was a gentle man. He was in love with Mary. He didn't want to see her hurt in any way, even though it appeared she might have been unfaithful. And verse 20 says, But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she'll give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And verse 22 says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophets. And then Matthew quotes Isaiah 7, 14. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And then verse 24 says, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home to be his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. You never get tired of reading the background, the backstory when it comes to Christmas. Next week, Nick's going to draw your attention to chapter 2 of Luke and the birth of our Savior. But before we leave Mary, I just want us to reflect on the way these announcements affected her and how she responded because she has some personal qualities that were going to be so valuable to her in the future, but also indicative of the fact that she was blessed and to be honored by God. And I want you to think of these. First, here's the first one. One, I want you to ponder her obscurity. Mary was not one to just be out there, you know, letting the world know and see everything. After Jesus was born and the days and months and years go by, you know, there's hardly any mention in Scripture of the mother of our Lord. I mean, although Jesus never ceased to love her, and uh, she no doubt loved him very, very much, as only a mom, a mom can. Mary, though, lives and she moves and loves through a veil of obscurity. Don't see her mentioned much in the New Testament. But isn't that the way it is? I mean, that's often so in our lives as well. The hands that bless us the hearts that pray for us, the hands and hearts of which 
The world knows very little about those things and how they have impacted us in our own lives. Think of her journey also to see her cousin Elizabeth. Here's a young, engaged, and pregnant Jewish maiden. And for her to do such a thing was really not culturally acceptable. She was supposed to stay home, but not married. But here was a woman who, even in obscurity, she had to give to courage. But that's not all. Consider her humility, number two. Can you imagine the words that would come welling up in the heart of most any other woman when she knew she was going to be the mother of the Messiah? I mean, how tempting it would be. How tempting it would be to kind of exalt yourself. Said, well, you know, my son's the son of God. What's your son? You know, uh uh-huh, yeah, yeah, can't compare there. But you never see this. Her one passion, her one passion was to be a blessing to others. She didn't want to be great or beautiful or whatever. She had no selfish ambitions. She did not crave the praise of men or women. You'll not find her mentioned very often in the New Testament Gospels. And maybe perhaps, you know, perhaps because she never did anything to attract much attention to herself. She lived in obscurity. She was very, very humble. And then number three, something else is unique is her silence. Two different times Luke tells us that she kept these things quiet and pondered them in her heart. The first occasion was when the shepherds came with amazing accounts of these wild angels going on over the sky over Bethlehem. And then the second occasion was when young Jesus had been lost. Remember that? He got away from his mom and dad, and and he was in the temple, and he was found hanging out with the learned teachers in the temple, probably helping them correct their theology. You know. But you know what? You know, she kept these things, she treasured these things in her heart. She she never mentioned it to anyone. I mean, don't you know there are mothers that cannot talk of anything except their children? But Mary, the mother of the most wonderful child ever, she was silent about him. And in the perfect character of Jesus can be found traits that you'll never understand until you remember the motherhood of Mary. Even while living in obscurity and in humility and silence, Luke tells us that Mary also made this special journey to visit her relative Elizabeth. And it was during this visit that you encounter one more amazing gift from this special woman. That was her song, Mary's song. In fact, it's easy to call that in your scriptures. Luke chapter 1, verse 41, we read that when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in a loud voice she proclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you you will bear. Why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. Now there's one feature of Mary's song, and you're going to see it at once. It's not really a song, it's more, more of a poem, I guess, but maybe she put music to it, we don't know that part. But 
I want you to see that it's not just a welling up of praise and emotion. It is packed with Old Testament theology. You've got to understand the foundations of everything. If you don't know the foundations, then what you build on it will perhaps crumble or you'll certainly never have a support that's strong. But Mary, over and over again, she talks about in this song and she quotes David and Job and Isaiah. I want you to listen carefully. This is verse 46. And Mary said, talking to Elizabeth, she said, My soul glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones, but he's lifted up those who are humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich, rich away empty. He's helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. And then verse 56 tells us that after this, this beautiful poem, song, whatever, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Now, don't miss this. Mary had a heart that was so full of the Word of God. She knew so much of the Word of God that in the time and in this hour, in this moment, it just came welling up inside of her. Upon the Word, she had fed her heart. Now, there's no need for us to wonder where Jesus was taught the Scriptures. You ever think about that? He came as a baby. He came as a human. He didn't come automatically packed full of theology. You know, we, we sometimes overlook this. She taught him the Word of God. His Christian education began at his mother's knee. And now... There's so much more we could talk about, but I, I close by asking if you recall, what is the last time we hear of Mary in the Bible? It's one of the most beautiful and revealing touches in all of Scripture. It's not a personal appearance of the risen Lord, for we never read that Jesus appeared to Mary after his resurrection. Now, after Jesus had ascended into glory, here's what we read about small group of Christ followers, they all got together in Jerusalem in an upper room. And Acts 1.13 says, when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Here's those who were present. It was Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew and James, son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot, Judas, son of James. They all were joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And that's the last glimpse we have of Mary. Humble, faithful follower of Jesus, praying like, like any sinner needed to pray. 
believing in the only name given among men whereby she could be saved. And whose only hope of power and peace and glory would lay in the work her son completed on Calvary. And that is why we end our service with the Lord's Supper, which Jesus established as a memorial to be shared by all believers. Amen. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you. What a wonderful, wonderful drama has unfolded. And I pray that as we deal with all the excitement of Christmas, that we especially, Christ followers that we are, will reflect deeply on the events that led up to what Christmas really means. And Father, every week, every time we, but you tell us that as often as you do this, as often as you meet around the Lord's table, you do this to show the Lord's death till he come. It's, it's, it's a reminder. And so Father, as we meet around the, the table today, there's not really a physical table here, but it's this moment where we have the cup and we have the, the, the little wafer thing that's with it. And this represents the body and blood of our Lord Jesus. And it is our privilege, Lord, it's our privilege to honor you by partaking seriously, reverently, thoughtfully, just like Mary would have done. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.